volunteers in order to do that service. So, thank you for inviting, for investing, and bringing people to church last week. Thank you, everyone. And it's, uh, what an awesome Sunday to experience together. And, uh, awesome. Turn your neighbor and say awesome. Here we go. <laughs> hey, as I said before, this is part one of our home run life. What game plan are you running? We are going to, this week, take about a 30,000 foot overview of this. And then for the next weeks to follow, we're going to dive into more detail. Is that all right? So we're going to get the overview today and then details the next week. So before we jump in, let me pray for all of us and we'll see what God has in store. Father God, I just thank you and love you and praise you for who you are. Thank you that you are alive. That's why we're here. That's why we even have breath in our lungs to just pour out our praise to live like your son, Jesus Christ. I pray this morning, as we've come from all different walks of life, some of us aren't even Jesus followers, and we're here this morning just wondering, what is this God thing? For some of us, we've been following you for a long time. But no matter where we are in our walk, we have maybe woke up this morning with a lot of things on our heart, a lot of things on our mind. I pray, God, that we would leave that at your throne so we can clearly hear what your Spirit has to say to us this morning. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone together said, Amen. Whether we realize it or not, every one of us dreams of a home run life. No one wakes up every morning and says, I want to be the most unsuccessful person today. We don't do that. Every one of us dreams of success in life. Turn your neighbor and say success. We desire that, whether it's in our careers, it's in our relationships, our marriages, whether it's with our kids and grandkids, nieces and nephews, our family, our teammates that in, our, in our schools, we desire success. We wake up desiring success in our life, but success without someone is empty. We may not realize it, but we do dream of success with someone. It could be family, it could be co-workers, it could be our friends, it could be our neighbors. There was someone though, maybe a spouse, someone you dreamed of that will walk beside you in your success. You can't just go out and do success on your own, or it's empty, it's shallow, and it's hollow. There was a pastor one time uh, that he loved golf. Are there any avid golfers here? Oh man, you guys are probably really good. I'm not. I'm the guy that goes out and golfs, and like, if I don't like my ball where it's lying, I just move it a little bit, right? Because if I don't have fun golfing, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna use some Christian swear words or something out on that course. Like, it is one of the most ungodly sports. It can cause you to do things. And this pastor loved golf. He went around, but every single day of the week, it was bad weather in the summer for him. The only nice day during the week was Sunday. But he had to preach every Sunday, and he was at church all day. And he finally woke up one Sunday, and he says, forget it. I'm calling in sick. I'm going golfing. So he gets one of his assistant pastors on the phone and says, hey, you got to cover for me this morning. I'm sick. Hangs up. 
He drives two counties over so no one would see him or recognize him. Gets on the golf course. Beautiful day. And he's like, finally. And he gets up to the tee box on the first hole. And he takes his driver and he nails it. 275 down the middle of the fairway. He's like, oh, I've never hit the fairway like this. And he begins to play out the rest of hole number one and he pars it. He's like, this is great. Goes to hole two, three. He's getting pars all the time. He's like, God, this is awesome. I've never played like this before. And he gets to the last par three, puts it on the tee, grabs his nine iron, and he goes and he just whacks it. Hole in one. And he says, God, this is awesome. I thought you were going to punish me for this. And God said, I did. He says, how? I'm hitting par. I just got a hole in one. And God said, who are you going to tell? <laughs> Success without someone is hollow in our lives. Not only do we dream of success with someone, but we dream of one other thing. We dream of self-respect. That every day when you get up in the morning, you can look yourself in the mirror and respect the person staring back at you. That you don't look that person in the mirror and hang your head in shame and guilt. That you can live your life driven by integrity and not by your passions and appetites that haunt you. We dream of self-respect. But when we get to the end of our lives, we want to know we have some significance. That in the end of our lives, we didn't just make a dollar, we made a difference. And our lives meant something. And the sad thing about that is those four elements that we dream of, hardly anyone gets all four. Some of us may be really good at one, maybe two. But it's a rarity that all four elements appear in our lives. My question becomes, why? Why can't we get all four elements? Is there a way that we can look in God's Word and understand maybe how God grows us up to get the home run life that we all deeply desire? So we're going to take a flyover of the life of Joseph. I think he's the first character we can really understand a pattern in his life that God grows us up for a home run life. So what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to give you the major flyover of Joseph's life. I mean, major flyover. Homework. Challenge. Read Genesis, the very first book in the Bible. Read Genesis 37 through 50. That's a deeper story in the life of Joseph. Do it for your devotions this week to really understand, because I'm going to give you fly over of his life. Skip chapter 38. Chapter 38 is a bizarre chapter, and it's probably going to confuse a lot of us. We actually looked at chapter 38, if you were here back in December. It's Tamar, where she dresses up as a prostitute and sleeps with her father-in-law. So you can skip that one, okay? <laughs> So do 37, skip 38, and read 39 through 50. You're going to get the whole life of Joseph. But what Joseph is going to learn is how God is going to grow him up to get a home run life, the same life you and I desire every single morning we wake up. 
See, by the name Joseph, Joseph is a, we're introduced to him as a 17-year-old boy. He's 17-year-old, and he is dad's favorite son. How many of you are your mom or dad's favorite? You just know it. Yeah, you know your mom and dad's favorite. Joseph bragged about it. Joseph was so dad's favorite, dad gave him a special coat of many colors. We have the musical Joseph and the... Yeah, see, they even made a musical of this guy. This is the Joseph that we're talking about. Dad's favorite. And the brothers, super jealous. Important family. And Joseph is 17 years old, and he gets this dream of his brothers bowing down to him. And he gets all excited. And he's like, hey, brothers, I had a dream. And he gets up, he's like, I'm going to tell you, you all were bowing down to me. Aren't I special? If you ever get a dream of anyone bowing down, don't tell them. It's not going to go well for you. And his brothers only get more angry at Joseph. So they decided, we got to get rid of dad's favorite. They threw Joseph in a pit, took off his coat, that special coat that dad gave Joseph, went over in the wilderness, killed a ram, covered his coat in blood, brought it back to dad and said, dad, Joseph's dead. Your favorite son is dead. All the while, Joseph's in a pit and being sold as a slave to Egypt, to Potiphar. What Joseph had to learn in that moment, I believe, is that this dream of success, of people bowing down, will come. But Joseph, you cannot be self-reliant. You must become God-reliant. It is almost as if God was stripping everything of Joseph. You can't do this alone. The very first thing that Joseph learns is win with God. Win with who? One more time, win with, win with God. Joseph, you thought you had it all. You were everything, and yet you're in a pit. You got to learn, it starts with me. Your life starts with me. You can't be self-reliant. You got to be God-reliant. Joseph, you have to depend on me. What's interesting in our lives as humans, we grow up very independent, do we not? Right? Think of kids when they're born, birthed, and growing up, they are really dependent on mom and dad, on their caretaker. And we always teach our kids as they grow to be independent. We're telling that all the time. Be independent. Go be yourself, which is great. The issue is the way God grows us up is to be dependent on Him. We go from being independent, broken, sinful, away from God, that we can do, try to do life on our own, and God grows us up to be, you can't be self-reliant, you must depend on me, and God grows us to dependency. It's the complete opposite of the way we train our children. Go, be independent, be independent. But God's saying, no, 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 be independent, but depend on me. It's so countercultural. And that's what Joseph is learning right now. You want success, Joseph. You have this vision. You have this dream. You got to win with me first. You can't rely on everything just because you're special and you're the favorite child. Win dependent or win with God. The next thing that Joseph is going to learn is this idea of win within. Win what? Within. Joseph 
Fast forward, he's 17, he's during the ages of now 22 to 25, he's a slave in Potiphar's house. Potiphar is like the captain of the Egyptian army. He's high in the Egyptian ranks. And now Joseph is working up and winning favor as a slave with Potiphar. And scripture tells us, the Bible actually says, the author of Genesis tells us that Joseph was handsome and well-built. So just think of me when you think of Joseph, all right? Okay, wives, think of your husbands, okay? But Joseph, he's a good-looking dude. He's got some built to him. And he's 22 to 25 years old. He's in his youth. And Potiphar's wife notices him. His master's wife. She makes an advancement on Joseph at 22 to 25 years old, makes an advancement and says, come sleep with me. Joseph has a major temptation in front of him. Do I become just a slave on the outside or do I become a slave on the inside? For some of us, we know what it's like to be a slave on the inside where our appetites, our desires, and our passions are what's ruling us. The tomb's empty. You don't have to live that way. There's freedom. And Joseph, you have to choose. Go sleep with your master's wife or become the person God wants you to be. You have to win within, Joseph. And Joseph makes the right decision. He refuses to sleep with Potiphar's wife. And for that, Potiphar's wife goes around and smears his name and accuses him of rape. And for making the right decision for winning within, becoming the person God is training him to be, building into him, Joseph now is thrown into prison. You ever felt like that? You did everything right in your life. You made that right choice at school. You made that right choice in your workplace. You made everything right. But you're not getting rewarded for it. You just feel like, does anyone even recognize me? I did the right thing and now I'm in this prison. That's where Joseph is. But he had to learn, who are you going to be, Joseph? Who are you going to be? Are you going to go around and sleep with your master's wife or are you going to be the person I need you to be? The next thing that Joseph had to learn after he won with God, after he won within, let that character build. He had to learn to win with others. Win with who? One more time, win with... Joseph, as he grew up, it was Joseph that had to learn to value others in his life. Now fast forward, Joseph now is in prison, and now as a prisoner, one of the opportunities that you got as a prisoner is to wash the prison floors of the palace, to wash other rooms and I imagine Joseph was maybe assigned to one of these tasks where he's sitting there now he's cleaning everything on the floor as important Egyptians are walking by him dismissing him I wonder if Joseph ever realized that I once was important like them I was dad's favorite I had that dream I had all that success I was going after now look at me Everyone is walking by dismissing me. And I want to remember that I was that person in my dad's house that dismissed everyone else. And it was probably maybe on the floors as he's cleaning, he's realizing to value other people. 
to value the same people he once dismissed in his dad's house. Fast forward to the age of 39, Joseph now is second in command in all of Egypt. The only person ahead of him is Pharaoh. And now Joseph rises and he gets to the end of his life and we're told that now Joseph is there and his dream's about to come true. His brothers come and they kneel before him. Not realizing it's their brother Joseph that they threw into a pit and sold into slavery. And Joseph, second command in all of Israel, has to say one word and get revenge on all his brothers. He just has to say, execute them. And they all die. But what Joseph is learning is to value others who once did not value him. And instead of killing his brothers, he chose to execute mercy, grace, and forgiveness. What Joseph had to learn, you got to win with others. You win with God, it starts there. You win within, allow God to do something in your heart, build your character, and now you begin. Once you do that, once God's forming your heart, you're going to win with others. You're going to learn to value others. And it doesn't stop there. For Joseph, the last thing Joseph learned was win where you are. Win where? One more time. Win where you are. Joseph has gone from the prison to the palace. But what got him from prison to palace was understanding, i got to depend on God, got to let him build my character, value others. He begins to interpret everyone's dreams and people come to him now. He's valuing and he begins to rise second in command. And now when he's second in command, Pharaoh says, I have, I have this dream. Pharaoh has this crazy dream. And again, I, I challenge you, read, read the story of Joseph and understand this dream. And he wants someone to interpret. And they're like, hey, hey, we know this guy in this prison because he valued us. He was telling, interpreting dreams. This guy named Joseph, you, got, you, you need him. And Joseph comes and Pharaoh says, can you interpret my dream? I need to know what in the world these cows and everything mean. And Joseph said, if God will let me, yes, I can. He says, your dream means this. For seven years, you're going to have a harvest. The crops are going to be awesome. Then for the next seven years after that, you're going to experience a famine. And what you need to do is for those seven good years, is take all those crops and put them in storehouses so we all can survive the seven years of famine. Pharaoh says, hey, that sounds good. Well, who wants to be in charge? I don't see anyone else. It's you, Joseph. Joseph goes up. And it's because of going around and learning how God is growing him and working him in his life. That moment when his brothers realize that it's Joseph. When they go back and tell their dad and they make the move to Egypt. And they realize this is our brother, Joseph. Joseph says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Joseph didn't see all that through his journey, but he now understood. Because Joseph needed to get to Egypt in order to save his family, save the entire nation of Israel, move from Israel into Egypt to survive the famine. And eventually, it's that nation that Joseph brought to Egypt that would eventually be enslaved for 400 years and Moses would lead out of Egypt to take them back to Israel. It's through them that Jesus Christ comes to them. 
But my question becomes, we understand all that and that's a quick flyover. But if I want God to grow me up and I want that home run life, is there something in the world that we can use as an illustration or an analogy to understand our growth? To understand, I want a home run life, what does it look like? And I want to give you Romans chapter 12. If you want to turn there, we're going to look at one verse, but I want it to be the foundation to move us forward in this series. Romans is found in the Newer Testament. A guy by the name of Paul writes to the church in Rome. These are early, early Jesus followers. The first 11 chapters of Romans is all about theology. Paul's writing to these early Jesus followers, hey, you need to learn some stuff on who you're following and who God is. And now I need to tell you also something about the world. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, says this. Do not conform to the what, friends? One more time. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. So there's a pattern that the world runs. Paul says, do not conform to that but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You need to rethink some self, yourself. Rethink some things. Don't conform to what the world runs. There's a pattern to it. And when you don't conform to it, when you begin to change the way you think in life, the result is then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, perfect will. So many people that I have counseled and just come up and everyone wants, what's God's will for me? I want to do what's right. I want to say, what pattern are you running? Because Paul says there's a pattern of the world. And as followers of Jesus, we're not to run the pattern of the world. Because Jesus brought greater life than the world has to offer. We ought to look weird. We ought to look different if you have put your faith and trust into Jesus Christ. The world should look at you and say, there's something different about you. There's something different about you. So is there a pattern that we can use, a modern illustration? Hence, baseball. Baseball, how many bases are there? Four. Yes, you baseball fanatics. There's three, and I realize this thing is called a plate, but uh, we're going to say there's four bases, okay? Four bases in baseball. Everyone knows when you get up to the home plate, where do you run? One more time, where do you run? Always to first. You make contact at home and you take off to first base. If you make contact at home, and turn and run to third base, you know what that's called? Little League. It's the only time it's funny and cute. It's when that little boy or girl gets up and hits that tee and is like, oh, mom and dad, ah, and they run this way. That's cute. But in life, when Miguel Cabrera, Cabrera gets up to bat and he runs to third, you're angry. You're like, no, that's an out. Don't do that. We know we run to first. And in order to score in baseball, you have to touch all four bases. 
the right way. So what would it look like as a simple analogy for us in our modern world today, the 21st century, to look at Joseph's life and put a diamond to it? Where everything starts at home. This is the base that we have to win with God. It starts here. And whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're not yet, you're still kicking the tires wondering what this God thing is, welcome to Radiant Life. Keep questioning. Keep questioning. Keep questioning. But we all in our lives have to answer the question, what's my purpose? Why was I created? And when we stand at home plate and we make connection with God and we win with God, we understand our purpose and powers for Him. We understand who we are. We understand our significance. We are not what the world calls us. We are the children of God. That is who you are. It's our significance comes from God at home plate. But then we take off the first base, which is win within. We need God to transform what's going on inside so we can live like Jesus. And then, when, as we're Joseph, when, this is the character base. we got to build our character to look. This God wants to grow us up to look like his son, Jesus. Once we do that, we can go to second base and begin to value and understand valuing other people. The hard thing is, so often, is that we skip first base because we often run to second base. I need to change my family. Let me hit here, make connection, and run straight to second base because my family needs you. Yet God's saying, well, I need to work within you first. You have things inside of you I need to change. And we like to blame everyone else for our problems, do we not? we got to run the first. And the base where most baseball runners get thrown out And in our lives, our character is the first to go. This one's tough. This is that prayer, God, search my heart. This is a tough base. Sometimes we want to hide our character and who we are. God, I know it's tough at first, but man, you got to do some things in my life because i got to win within. And then once we're at second, we win with others. We can run to third, and we can win where we are. We can win in our jobs. We can win in our marriages. We can win in our families. We can win on the, in the, in the, on the field with our teammates and our classmates. We can win where we are, where God has you in your life. But I love this. Look at this. Jesus says the greatest commandment is love the Lord your what? Love the Lord your God, home plate, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. My question becomes, why did Jesus say, as yourself? He could have just said, hey, the greatest commandment, love God, love others, you're good. But he says, no, love your neighbor as yourself. You can't learn to value others and love others if you don't have self-respect and win within. you got to win it first. got to run through all the bases. And the thing is, when we're here and we're at success and we're winning wherever God has us, the only way to score is to touch home. we got to bring it back to God and say, God, I give you all the praise and glory for that. That was you 
not me. That was not self-reliant. That was God-reliant. And my question becomes, Paul, you told the churches in Rome that there's a pattern of the world. What is that pattern? Because I don't want to conform to it. I think it's simple. I think the world runs it backwards. See, they start here. Everyone's got to start here, whether they realize it's God or not. But they run here because this base, third base, is success, is performance, and result. We live in a performance-driven culture. You are praised for this base in your life. This is the fireworks base. This is, I'm getting raises. Yeah, baby, I am moving up. This is the base and the fireworks in our life. This is the results. This is success. This is what you are rewarded in the world today is success. It's performance, is it not? Everyone runs this base. And the world runs straight towards it. And here's the issue, though. If we follow the world and run towards success in our lives all the time, we'll cheat second base. We'll cheat time with family, time with friends, time with our kids, time with our loved ones. Because why? We're so busy getting our performance and success at third base. I can't do it. I'm working too much. I got to get all this done. I'm cheating out family time, friends time. And then when we are constantly running towards success and results, we skip out and we cheat first base. We start making decisions inside of our hearts, moral decisions we would never make, but we are so driven towards performance and success in our lives because that's what the world honors. And so we begin to cheat ourselves. And now we can't look in the mirror and respect that person because we know what decision we made and we would never make that decision, but our boss has driven us here all the time. And then when we're constantly running to third, we'll skip out even on home plate. I don't have time to even pray. I don't have time for church. Man, I squeeze it in there once a month. I don't have time to just be quiet and be still and be with God. Because I'm constantly working, trying to get results, because that's what I'm awarded in life. My question for you this morning is the praise team makes their way up. My question for you this morning is this. Are you running God's pattern of the world? What way are you running? Many times that you may wake up in the morning and you're, man, you're here. Like, God, I'm going to win with you. I'm going to win this dependence. I'm going to start my morning out right. I'm going to win with you right here. But when the flow of life and our schedule gets morning throughout the day, we realize we're running the third. I've got to have more. I gotta keep up with the Joneses. I want that pay raise. I want everything else in my life, and I'm just constantly running to third base. Success, success, success. My question is will you allow God to get on His purpose and His power and head to first base and say, All right, God, what is it within me that you want to change? Then, God, when you change what's inside and You are pleased and I'm looking more like your son, Jesus. Take off the second. Say, how can I just value others? How God, give me your eyes to see people the way you do. Is that a prayer? Man, that's a strong prayer, is it not? Give me eyes so I see people the way you do. 
Begin to value people at your work. Begin to value people in your neighborhood. And then wherever God has you, run the third and start getting success and results in your life. And then take it back home. Are you running God's pattern or the words? It's a question we all have to wrestle with. But Paul reminds us, do not conform to the pattern of the world. We all run it. We all run a pattern. Whether you're a believer or non-believer, we run patterns. And constantly, you want to change something in your life and get different results and outcomes? Do you know what the definition of doing the same thing over and over and over again and getting the same exact results over and over again? You know what that definition is? Insanity. You want to beat your addiction? Stop running that same pattern. You want to beat that struggling relationship? Stop running the pattern that's constantly leading to that. God, I'm ready to grow up. Teach me your pattern. Take me around the bases. Take me around. Because this life isn't about us. This life is about Him. And it's about others. Will you allow God to grow you up the way He needs to grow you up? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for something as simple as baseball. Thank you for that just easy pattern. But I pray the next time that we either see baseball or think of baseball, we realize what base are we running to. God, it's hard sometimes because I know in the culture that we live in, it's so success and performance driven. But that's not the way you grow us up. It's not the way to knock the ball out of the park and get a home run life. Pray, Jesus, that you would reveal to us in what areas and what bases do we struggle with. And I pray you begin to work on our hearts in those areas. God, we don't want a home run life for us. We want a home run life because of what your son Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. That's why we desire a home run life. Your word in John 10.10 says, Jesus came, Jesus says, I came to give life and life to the full. So many of us are striking out. But God, you're a God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances. And we can come up to the plate and try to get it right so many times. And I thank you that you're a God that does and that allows that. And that we don't just strike out in life. We get chance after chance, after chance to try to run this thing right. Father, it's to your glory, it's to your honor, it's to your praise that we surrender, that we run the pattern you have for us. So we can see these hallelujahs be multiplied. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.